0: tonight, you've sat through it so well, and we can, with, without further ado, move on to our panel discussion, who I know everybody is really, really excited to meet. Um, maybe just a minute to introduce myself, and I realise and Paul would know this, our executive dean, every thought leadership event we've had, I've forgotten to actually introduce myself, so, so this is me finally remembering to do that in good time. So, I am um, Associate Professor Alsamari Bueta. In, I'm in, at the business school at the university, but I'm also the MBA director. So, my own teaching specialization is within digital transformation and technology transitions, and looking at how organization, organizations can adopt new technologies and um, how new technologies impact business models and in particular i've published in artificial intelligence within the retail space and how retail value chains are transformed when artificial intelligence is used appropriately having said that i know by by looking at our audience and, and recognizing some of the key members in the audience that i am by no stretch of the imagination the ai expert in the room not only and also not even our panel there are a bunch of really really clever tech people in here. And we really look forward to, at the end of the discussion, and we decided as a panel that we're going to keep our discussion as concise as possible so that we can have a good thorough um, Q&A session at the end. So really looking forward to everybody asking those questions and engaging with our panels. This has been a really busy week for um, artificial intelligence. And, and we're so glad we met on Monday to discuss tonight's event. And I'm so glad we didn't meet before because we would have had to redevelop our whole talk this week. Um, everything is changing with such a dramatic rate, uh, pace of change. And every day something new comes out. And as an illustration, over this weekend, uh, Bill Gates did um, a Bill notes on why... Artificial intelligence is really revolutionary. Uh, This quote of his, the development of AI is as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor, the personal computer, the internet, and the mobile phone, and it will change the way people work, learn, travel, get healthcare, and communicate with each other. Entire industries will reorient around it, and businesses will distinguish themselves by how well they use it really interesting when you read his piece where he says that there's been two revolutionary moments in his life, and he was one of the first people involved in technology. And he says that the first was with the graphics, um, graphical user interface. And when he saw that, he knew that the internet would reach millions of people um, because it was usable. And he says that the second truly revolutionary moment is with large language models like ChatGPT that actually makes artificial intelligence, which has been around for decades, available to you and me to use it, just because we can use it with natural language. So that was this weekend. And then on Monday and Tuesday, everybody, all the news outlets picked up on the Goldman Sachs report, that essentially said that 300 million full-time jobs will be replaced by AI, Um, and uh, it could replace a quarter of work tasks in the US and Europe, but may also mean new jobs and a productivity boom. And they said that it could eventually increase total annual value of goods and services uh, produced globally by 7%. (coughs) Of course, most people jumped on the 300 million jobs angle. And then this morning, well, it was yesterday, I suppose, um, in the States, uh, we we got this news this morning that Elon Musk um, and a bunch of his friends (laughs) wrote a moratorium uh, against AI asking for us to essentially halt any development um, until we can figure out some important questions. So really an unenviable task of our panel to... A, be on top of the very, very, very broad spectrum that is AI, um, and B, also even just to be on top of this week's news. So we'll forgive them if they don't know all the answers, but we do know that they are experts in their fields and they have used um, this technology to great effect within their, their companies. So we're really, really thankful to hear from them. And what we'll do now is I will introduce each of them, and I've asked them to give us, um, after their individual introduction, ask them to give us just five minutes of, a, I suppose, a declaration, summary, um, an introduction for us to build off for the rest of our panel discussion tonight. And we'll start with Kari. So, Kari Jones is the General Manager for Analytics and Insights with Woolworths Group with both local and group accountabilities. Locally, Kari leads the analytics function for Woolworths New Zealand and reports into the Chief of Strategy and Transformation. Kari leads a full-stack full data analytics and insights capability that is responsible for driving analytics transformation and enablement end-to-end And at the group level, Kari is a member of the advanced analytics leadership team called Woolworths IQ, reporting into the chief analytics officer for Woolworths Group. At the group level, she is responsible for leading a culture transformation around data through the Woolworths Data Academy, as well as sustainability analytics. Kari is an experienced executive leader committed to improving the performance of New Zealand organisations through the increased adoption and application of emerging technology, advanced analytics, and artificial intelligence. Over the past 11 years, Kari has worked with a range of iconic organisations to increase their digital and analytics maturity, executing strategies that improve customer centricity, operational effectiveness, and achieve significant business results. Thank you, CARI. Yes.
1: Um, thank you very much. Thanks for the, for the introduction. Um, so I just want to state that I'm not a data scientist, um, but a career in technology was pretty much a given for me. So from my dad teaching me how to program on the BBC, which is a very old computer, <laughs> um, and enrolling me in computer club, um, and my mother force-feeding me Isaac Asimov on cassette tape and Star Trek on VHS. Um, so pretty much, um, so pretty much, the, fo- um, the fa- I knew I was going to sort of land in technology at some at some point in time. Um, it's been a long time. I think I've been saying, "When are the robots coming?" Um, and I think I've been um, uh, constantly disappointed. Um, you know, with everything that I've sort of grown up with, I've been constantly disappointed. And I think, I think we're sort of finally getting there, um, getting there to something that um, is going to hopefully take the toil and the drudgery away from, um, from much of the work that, that, that we do. At least that's the way that I'm choosing to see it. Um, now, look, yeah, I've been in this field for a very long time. Um, I was in an engineering role before I came to New Zealand and then came to New Zealand and took on leadership and strategic and and, and management roles. Um, I've had some really awesome, really interesting opportunities to get back overseas, to go into Silicon Valley, to see what Amazon is up to, see what Facebook is up to, see what Salesforce is up to. Um, Even had the opportunity to get over and see uh, Google's holodeck. I was like, a holodeck? finally we've got a holodeck um i pitched that uh, to an organization and i think they thought well, i was absolutely crazy um, i think if there's one piece of advice that i would give to leaders is listen to some of your crazy people just a little bit more <laughs> look it's it's um it's an exciting time and it's a scary time um that any any i suppose opinions that i'll express tonight in mine um i'm part of a big organisation that's gone all in on ai um our our group ceo brad benducci a very uh a very forward thinking um forward thinking guy uh has has set up has 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 said basically that our biggest challenges at woolworths group 200,000 people across new zealand and Australia, our biggest challenges are going to be solved through different flavors of AI um, or, or machine learning. And he said that a good few years ago, and he's backed that up. Okay, huge, uh, huge piece of work with, with BCG to set up a use case roadmap um, with a with billion dollars of EBIT um, as, as a target that we are going to go after and are tracking against through uh, deploying different uh, advanced analytics solutions right across our organisation, um, we've got—I look after 100 analytics professionals um, right across from everything from data governance through to advanced analytics. That's just New Zealand, okay. And so then we have another 500 um, in Australia, okay. And so when we say we're going all in on AI, we are. And we backed it up um, through through purchases of um, 75% share in Quantium um, and and, and really starting starting to deliver and putting this work into production, everything um, from pick path optimization um, to to personalization of customer experience. but it's a scary time, right? And I can't, you know, Gareth and I had a quick check. How are you feeling? Like, how are you feeling about this time? Like, you know? Unsure. Unsure. Unsure, <laughs> unsure and I'm sure a lot of people are feeling like this. So I was at, a, I was at an analytics hackathon um, that, we were, that we were leading a couple of weeks ago. And I said that I was, a, I, was, um, cl- I was a climate change and had climate change anxiety since I was about 15 years old. Um, how do you think I feel now, you know? <laughs> with, 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 with the AI, I've been excited for many years and now it's here, it's actually quite, it's actually a little bit scary and a little bit daunting, but that's okay. People like change, okay? We just don't like big, fast change. But this has not been, this has been coming up on us for a long, long time. And a lot of the crazy people, the futurists in the organization, have been talking to CEOs, have been talking to exec teams about getting in and going all in on AI for a long time. And I suppose one of my frustrations has always been, you know, when I've come to New Zealand is, why do we feel so behind? You know, why haven't we taken bigger, bolder steps in this space um, and and, and been more innovative and gone for it? and why has it taken so much convincing at an executive level? Um, and so I suppose the other, the other question I was sort of thinking, getting ready for tonight, I said, well, oh, how am I feeling? And I thought, well, actually, to be a bit provocative, because I, I am a bit like that, uh, I think that's part of my role, I feel disappointed, actually. And I explain why I feel disappointed for all of the stuff that ai could do for all of the problems that we could solve okay we've decided to create images out of other images <laughs> you know and, and i think for me and, and and you know we've decided to you know cr- let a machine create websites just like that off a brief like goodness, haven't we got some uh, bigger problems to put, you know, some of the world's cleverest people focusing, pointing at the right things. And maybe, I mean, Gareth's a little bit more, uh, maybe hopeful. um, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, Hopefully that will come. Um, But geez, you know, we've got climate change, food security, lifting people out of poverty. We've got bigger fish to fry than, you know, how to create Text from other text, or how to create images out of other images—a um, problem that wasn't even there to solve in the first place.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we should have some humour, right? We should have some humour tonight because I think um, we need to. There are—it can be a bit doom and gloom, uh, but let's. So let's keep. Let's have some humour about it. Um, we get to choose the trajectory. Okay, we get to choose the trajectory of which we want to travel. Um, And I think we have to keep that in mind. We've chosen in many of the uses of our technology, and we talked a little bit about that from the social media perspective, we've chosen to allow it to go down a particular path that maybe we're not particularly happy with. We've got a choice around the trajectory. We've got a choice around how people and technology want to live together in the future and what values we actually want to protect. And we've got to be very clear about those things. Um, otherwise, you know, it could be, it, you know, it could be a very different, the more of the dystopian future rather than the one that um, is one where, where humans really get to flourish and continue to grow and, uh, and to be the humans and be the people that we want to be in the future. So. Hopefully, that's a, a reasonable opening statement. Thanks, Kari.
0: <laughs> In our previous thought leadership panel, you guys said we want more provocative people. See, so we deliver on the MBA. Thanks, Kari. Let me take our faces off here. Yes, much better. Um, ben Reed. So, Ben Reed is one of Aotearoa's um, deep thinkers about exponential technology change. He brings nearly three decades' tech, um, tech sector experience in diverse roles, including software development, enterprise architecture, AI policy, technology governance, and business consulting. From 2017 to 2019, he was the founding executive director of the AI Forum New Zealand an AI policy think tank and advocacy body for New Zealand. He currently operates as an independent advisor with businesses in Aotearoa and um, in Aotearoa and across Asia Pacific focusing on technology strategy, foresight and innovation. He also works with many exporters on digital and systems strategy as part of the New Zealand Trade and Enterprise Beachheads Advisory Network. Ben describes himself as constantly curious about the future. He researches and writes the weekly Mimia newsletter on Substack, now read by thousands, including myself, um, that really just covers um, the latest global emerging tech trends and accelerating change. And finally, he also has a forthcoming book, Fast Forward, Aotearoa. Um, out mid-2023 which explores how accelerating technologies are defining the future of New Zealand and what can be done about it. Your five minutes starts now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Kia ora, um, Kia ora, everybody and uh, it's just great to be here. I, um, I absolutely love this building. This is one of the first buildings to go up um, after the quakes, and it's just got a really sort of special atmosphere and the acoustics are fantastic as well. Um, look, so thanks very much for um, inviting me along today. Um, so... Um, I, as, uh, as Marie said, um, I sort of spend my, my weeks, a lot of it, uh, you know, researching um, and writing my, my newsletter, the Mimia newsletter, um, and, you know, the, what I would say as so I doom scroll through Twitter all day so that you don't have to, um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, you know, my, I actually, the quote from Bill Gates earlier, I have a, I disagree with that it, this is there, is, there are moments in, in technology, significant moments. What we are witnessing is basically just this ambient acceleration of compounding technological change, and arguably this has been going on since the Big Bang, in terms of the you know the increase in um, uh, complexity, information complexity in the universe. Um, but previously, this would happen over um, eons, and then uh, centuries, and then decades, and years. And now this is it's going so fast. It's actually Perceptible, um, you know, in our day-to-day lives, and so the technology generations, um, you know, if you think about it, it's like about fifteen years now, just over fifteen years since the iPhone was first released, and you know, everyone has a smartphone in their pocket around the world now, um, and you know, the, that that generation, that fifteen years, we're probably going to see, you know, the same order of magnitude of technical technological change in the next year, and then beyond that, it'll be six months, and then three months, and so. Um, I've been anticipating this like curry um, because I've read a lot of science fiction, and you know, it, but it's weird living in, in it, um, and because it has it feels like it has um, suddenly snuck up. And so, ChatGPT, you know, we, we've, you know, those of us have been in the space, I've been aware of generative AI, you know, for for years, um, and it was all, you know, it was a, a toy that would be able to sort of generate um, sort of faces that sort of looked a bit weird for a while, and and now you've got someone publishing very realistic pictures of Donald Trump getting arrested, um, you know, out on the mainstream, hitting the mainstream media, uh, and try and explain that to your grand. right? Um, it's gonna, you know, the, the the world is not prepared, and I don't think um, from a cognitive defenses point of view, the flood of AI-generated content that we're going to see coming forward, uh, I, I you know, I don't think that we're um, prepared and, and quite understand how significant that will be to basically pull apart any kind of collective narrative um, that we have uh, as as a as a nation and as an international community. Um, anyway, I'm here to talk about business. Um, so uh, on on uh, sort of possibly more tangible um, uh, topics. So so my my view on this is that there is a ambient acceleration um, that that. You know, technology begets technology. It accelerates the development of, um, you know, of, of innovation, um, and as part of that, um, you know, changes it changes inevitable, and so you know, there there are calls here for a moratorium on on innovation today. Um, with that open letter, uh, you know, I I'm not. Sure, you know, how that will play, but ultimately, you know, it's not going to affect uh, AI labs in China, for example. It's not going to affect um, AI labs in other places around the world. So the, um, the ability to stop this is, is, in my view, not there. And so it's more, you know, in the same way as we've been moving the conversation around climate change to, re- you know, to reversing climate change um, and moving the conversation from there to adaptation... I see you know in some ways we've got to adapt to AI and we've actually got to do you know climate change we've been thinking about talking about for decades and we've been thinking oh we've got decades to adapt um, you know this we've got less than decades we've got years years or months to, to adapt to these changes as uh, you know these, these large language models large um, uh, you know generative AI uh, tools just become ubiquitous around us um, so Short term, from a business point of view, I think this is going to be uh, going to have really significantly positive effects, and for you know for New Zealand and, and around the world. Um, I was reading a report today from the Aotearoa um, AI Researchers uh, Network, or, uh, which you know had some really it was pol- advice for policymakers um, on generative AI, um, and you know their observation is that uh, you know we're actually going to see a short term productivity bonanza. Um, and in service industries, yeah. Um, and so when I'm using these tools personally and I'm sort of integrating more and more into my daily workflows, um, I'm just constantly amazed by um, the, you know, the, the, the amount that I'm able to do in, in uh, just a short period of time. Um, and so, you know, a lot of this is anecdotal and, and the, one of the key things I'd say here. Um, <laughs> so branching off into um, the, uh, is that we've seen the demos, right? Um, and when you see a tech demo, it blows your mind. It's like, oh my god, that's amazing! But then it takes about you know months usually for this technology to get out for people to use it and actually find the limitations. Um, and so I think you know right now we're all getting our heads blown by uh, you know by ChatGPT by you know the, the rolling out and being by Midjourney. By Dali, um, there, you know there are limitations to these tools, um, and you know. So I, on the one hand, I'm an accelerationist. On the other hand, you know, I maintain a healthy um, skepticism that we're we're getting this barrage of uh, daily press releases as OpenAI basically is just rolling out this strategy that they've had in the back pocket for um, for the last uh, five years. Um, so from a New Zealand point of view, um, we have an economy where we have historically low productivity per hour works, we have labor shortages, we have well-documented skills shortages, um, and we export you know, l- generally low-value products, you know, pr- um, you know, primary products rather than uh, complexity. You know, um, and, our, and our economy, if you look at the observatory of economic complexity, our economy is um, you know, significantly less complex than, than other OECD nations that we might want to compare ourselves against. Um, and so this is a real opportunity to really improve, th- you know, those productivity problems. Um, and in particular, I, you know, really don't want to, you know, I don't expect, I'm sure I will, anyone to be complaining about skill shortages again in the next few months, right? It's like, you're saying you've got 600 folks on your team. Um, you know, you now have 1,200. Yeah. Uh, some of the research is literally... me 300. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah. So I think that's probably a topic we can go into later. Is just the augmentation of uh, you know how you, this technology is going to be not just from an individual point of view, but how you can just automate entire workflows and take out that drudgery and the you know the jobs that you know are quite repetitive. Okay, that's my two cents.
0: Thank you, minutes. Ben. Awesome. <laughs> Gareth, last but definitely not least, Gareth is the Head of Digital and Improvement at Westland Milk Products, a company that's had some really, really good news the past week, um, released. So a combination of Head of um, Improvement and the traditional CIO role with 20 years experience across industries from family-run businesses, sports associations through to large multinationals and roles from CEO, General Manager, through to Global Supply Chain Manager and Operations Manager. Gareth leads not only the tech team at Westland, but also Business Process Improvement and the Automation Engineering team. Not a truly traditional IT leader, Gareth is a technologist at heart, but with a Certified um, Continuous Improvement Kaizen background. Having worked in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Argentina, and Uruguay, he has broad cross-border experience and has applied tried and true business improvement methods mixed with process automation, RPA, and OT plant automation. Over to you.
4: Thank you very much. Uh, What a hell of a way to start, guys. (laughs) I'm not sure I've got um, any meaning to be up here, but... um, I just wanted to start by um, saying thank you for inviting me along to talk. Um, I'm not sure I'm an expert in anything in this space, but I've got opinions. Tell
2: you what, uh, tell you what they are.
4: Um, I think Ben just took a shot at the primary industry, but I <laughs> won't hold that against him. Um, so obviously I work for a dairy company. Um, we have had some success recently, um, but over the last... I guess ten years. I've watched technology um, in my world of business improvement become um, pretty much a, a key imperative in everything we do. You know, when I started my career, process improvement was um, you know less paper shuffling. Um, it wasn't getting rid of it, and now it is. Right, so um, it's been been an interesting change. And I've got some cheat sheet notes here, so I've look down. This one. Um, over the last few years, I've seen my team um, embrace a lot of. What we would call sort of AI before ChatGPT came along, um, RPA, um, process automation technologies, um, what else have we have got on the list, chatbots, machine learning, but nothing quite like what's happening at the moment. Um, and to me, um, like these guys have just said, it's, it's kind of watching the chicken emerge from the egg. You know, it's been in there as an embryo bubbling away and, and the industry is small and there might be you know, 50 to 100 people that have been sort of right in the fulcrum of it and now we're starting to see it emerge. And that's, like you say, interesting, uh, unsettling, um, nervous. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of you probably have watched the Lex Friedman um, and the CEO of uh, Sam, OpenAI yeah. with yeah. Sam, yep. um, and they had an interesting, interesting observation of, um, it's always interesting to see what's the first thing you ask ChatGPT. So I thought to myself, well, I asked, it, I asked if it could tell me how to build a T-1000, so I'm not sure what that says about me. But it said it couldn't, it said it couldn't, but if it could, it gave me some instructions. They weren't great. Um, as a technologist, I mean, I grew up um, in a similar time, Commodore 64s, Amiga 500s, um, I'm a real geek, I've got uh, VR headsets galore at home, um, a robot vacuums which I think is the biggest problem itself um, AI has solved for a long time um, you know robot lawnmower um, lawnmower's probably one step, been one step too far um, but the way it's going to change I think immediately and I think Ben touched on this, the personal productivity piece is absolutely 100% there now um, I've got uh, a reasonably big team, nothing compared to Um and ChatGPT would be on their computers every day. Um, And what are they doing with it? I have no idea. Um, Some people are creating documents, I'm sure. I know some people are writing emails. Um, I'm wondering how much I should pay them to tell the robot to write emails. Um, I walked past someone yesterday who was translating um, some data and putting a summary around it in English, um, but translating it into Chinese for our headquarters. We're owned by a Chinese company. And ChatGPT opened on the desktop. Uh, what are you doing? it's um, the best translator there is. Um, she's bilingual, so she can she can definitely tell. And voila. Um, we we started a big project recently and you know you'd normally get business analysts in and, um, and and do a whole bunch of user stories and technical requirements and all that sort of stuff. Um, I spent about 30 minutes on ChatGBT asking it to write user stories based on it being a uh, an expert in, in that particular type of software, um, I gave that to the people who will end up using the software that we deploy when we deploy it, and they said nailed it right in the head. So, if you're a business analyst, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <watch out.
3: laughs>
4: in the past, that would have been several workshops, several weeks. Um, we're not talking a big deployment, but enough to have kept the BA busy for a few full days. Um, we did it, and I did it, and I'm a, you know a when it comes to that sort of stuff. I'm a bit more blue sky than in the detail. Um, so, for me, the letter from Bill Gates was interesting. Um, it was very um, euphoric. We're going to solve the world's problems. Um, that's awesome. We're also going to put a lot of people out of work. That's not so awesome. Um, we are going to see as much dark activity as the upside, I think. Uh, And we need to be prepared for that. Um, You know, with with great power comes great responsibility. That's awesome, but there's always some people willing to be irresponsible with the tools that they have. And with OpenAI and ChatGBT, it's out there, right? So there's not much getting away from it, Um, doing some bad things. And I think deep fake photos of Donald Trump might be the least of our concerns. Um, But the upside is pretty good. And I think in the initial phase, we're going to see a massive increase in personal productivity. Um, I've already seen it. Microsoft's um, rolling out Copilot, which I think will be um, transformational for office-based um, you know, desktop users. Um, and we're going to see it creeping into the plant. I've got some of my uh, friendly colleagues from from uh, plant automation, so you know, big dairy plant on the on the west coast, and I can see it creeping in there, um, helping with analytics, helping look at trends and data and, and all that sort of thing and it's going to do it um, in a way that we've probably never done before. But, um, we well, have jump through, three cards. Uh, what does it mean for uh, society? I decided to prepare f- for this by reading 1984. Um, <laughs> just to rehash what George thought back in the 1950s. Um, probably not the right thing to do. Uh, I then followed it up with a great book called Rage Inside the Machine. Uh, it's, it's worth a read, but again, it's pretty dark sort of vision. Um, I think we need to be careful, so in terms of feeling unsettled, I think we need to be careful. I'm not against the idea of the, the pause for six months, I just think it's completely unrealistic. The bullet train has left the station and it's not coming back, so if you're not on, it's you're not on. Um, but we need to be careful about displaced workers, um, you know, what... Do we have in the, in place in terms of upskilling and reskilling people? Um, how do we ensure against unemployment? Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of change happen in the next 10, 20 years, if not the next one or two years, that we need to be very careful that we don't uh, we don't trip ourselves over in the workplace. Um, I think my biggest fear is we lose critical thinking. Um, so we are we're very determined to see ChatGPT and, and generative AI solve problems, but remembering that it's based on probabilistic heuristics requiring data to already be there, I worry that innovation disappears. Um, a lot of business, businesses succeed because when everyone's turning left, they turn right. Um, and if you're basing your decisions on a lot of data from a, a heuristic model, um, generative AI, then you know, everyone's going to turn right. And then it's just a race. Um, so it's, it's not yet at that point where it can critically think and, and create and innovate in the world where there's nothing there yet. Um, so I hope it can help with global warming. I hope it can help with uh, socioeconomic issues that we have. I hope. But I also have a lot of fear that we as human beings can't achieve that. Uh, yeah. There you go. That's me. Great.
0: Well, we're in the business of helping students become more critical thinkers. And, and it's interesting, this comment of yours around the critical thinking, because I read um, Azim Khar's um, Exponential View the other day, and he said he uses ChatGPT to become more critical. And every time he writes a piece, he says, okay, well, rewrite this from a liber- libertarian viewpoint, from a... Um, uh, from a more democratic viewpoint are there any gaps in my thinking that i'm not picking up but it's about understanding how to use it and i think that's a big gap
4: yeah i think if there's anyone looking for a job post uh post study um becoming a uh, gpt prompt creator <laughs> you gotta 100 uh, you got a lot of people um and not being ageist here, but a lot of older people that won't use ChatGPT because how do I get the right information? And this has become a real art form in terms of creating prompts. Yep. Um, we've got two guys down here that look like they know what they're talking about. Um, absolutely, there's going to be a role there for people to use it for others, um, which I think is kind of cool. Mm.
3: But then you just say, sort of GPT-5, give me 50 prompts for GPT-4. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you just resolve my business problem here? <laughs>
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's go over into the questions. And I think, Gareth, seeing as you were last, you can go first in answering this. So uh, we have some AI experts in, in the field from UC. Um, Neely was sitting here. I saw her earlier. And we spoke about this earlier, and she said, oh, AI's been around for decades, you know, and, and we've just been... Um, people are only waking up to it now. But, but it seems like this new wave of generative AI... Uh, has truly brought this technology to the fore. What has changed in the space um, and ha- what hasn't? Um, and then how can senior management ensure that their organisations are keeping up with the rapid pace of technological change?
4: That's a great question. And I think in our workplace or in my workplace, you can see it. Um, you can see the change. So if I went back... 12, 18 months, and I said, right guys, let's think about AI, I'd have my guys, the technology team, talking about RPA, process automation, plant automation, no one else would be really listening, there wouldn't be a lot of, out, lot of happenings outside of the team, but now I walk through the office and every third computer's got ChatGPT running, so yeah, it's been around for a long time, you kind of needed to know what you were doing to get the results you wanted. Now you can just ask it questions, and so the general populace has access to all that information, and and I think AI over the last decade has involved creating models and bringing in big big data to then run the model and give you the answers. You had to know about data structure and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. ChatGPT and generative AI is going to give you access to far more data than you've ever seen in your life, and you're not going to have to number crunch, you're not going to have to create structured data tables and build SQL databases and data warehouses and data lakes and all that sort of stuff. It's just there. Um, I think the Microsoft Copilot thing, I think, um, will help businesses like ours take all the data that we've got, all this you know years and years and years of documentation and data, and actually be able to go through it and pull answers quickly from things that people haven't looked at for a decade because it's sitting in a document about a customer from you know the 2000s. Man, I sounded old, man.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kari? So when, um, when sort of some of the hype started to come out around chat, um, a bunch of my team said, right, we want to do some work on it. We want to go do some experimentation. And so straight away it was like, yeah, go, go and play. Go and have a go. Go and work out what it means for you and what it means for us. Um, I then have wondered whether or not we needed to prepare a paper, <clears throat> but there wasn't that much excitement um, or support or sponsorship to actually create that paper out of the analytics team. So thank goodness that our enterprise architecture team have actually produced that paper this week, okay? And it was, thank, you know, thank you, because actually that's, you know, when we talk about what does senior managers or what do our executives need to know, that paper was written in such a way by our EA team, that it was very consumable um, and explained in, 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 in plain English what this technology was um, and, and some of the retail use cases that it could potentially be applied to, um, which gave, I think gives people confidence that we are, you know, we're we're looking at this and we're leading and we're, we're on the front foot. Um, I think what's other things that we do because I think it's, hel- it's helpful if I could just share like, some of the, the real practical things that we do to, ke- to help our exec and senior leaders get across this technology. So um, we're lucky to be working with Harvard um, on a data for all program. That's been running for quite some time. And so our executive and senior leaders around the organization actually partake in a six to eight week program where they start learning about Um, different types of advanced analytics, and so they learn by doing, not just by sitting in lectures, but they actually have a go, and they actually do simulations around retail, and so that's a a way of getting our exec um, across the technology by, by doing it, and I actually sit with my MD every six weeks, and we did that this morning, talking, and I'll pick a topic, and I'll bring one of the team in, and we'll deep dive into that particular topic, again, something that he might be reading about in MIT, or reading about in the HBR, and just sort of making that so he feels super comfortable um, about what this technology means, and he can start to think about how can we apply that technology to different problems that's keeping him up at night. I think your point, Gareth, this is is an augmentation. This is a human augmentation tool, and it always has been. Um, When I ran a data science team at Air New Zealand, my data scientists were... uh, I've been really excited about products like data robot for a very long time. Data robot, H2OAI, um, HyperAna, these kind of really early, early products. Uh, And I said, look, let's get excited about data robot productivity tool for ML. Like let's get our models into production in days and weeks, not months and years. Wow, did you see their faces drop? I was like, I just want to program. I just want to like type code and Python. And it was really frustrating. But what that's meant for me as a leader is I and I recruit different type of data scientist. A data scientist that's outcomes focused and business focused, that wants to sit with the business and solve problems, okay? Not one that just wants to sit there and learn and code. And I think this is an augmentation tool. It's a productivity tool. And if you've got to get on board or You know,
0: resistance is futile, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Then I wonder, before we go into your answer to that, just to make sure that everybody in the audience is kind of up to date, we've mentioned the word chat GPT a few times now, and I know many of you have used this, but maybe if you can just... In a minute.
3: Technical technical (laughs) explanation. This is right, yeah. Um, So it's a generative pre-trained transformer. Um, So any any AI academics in the room? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the the basic principle is that you you take all of the digital content of all humanity um, that's ever been rendered into bytes, and you massage it into structured and unstructured piles, um, and then you ingest it into... A, uh, a massive pipeline of uh, neural networks um, and, and machine learning tools, and they basically process it and process it and build a model that is then able to then, um, and it's sometimes called a stochastic parrot, uh, that is able to take all of that human knowledge in all languages that it's been ingested, and then, uh, as Gareth is saying, I predict the next word, um, and so you ask it a question, and then uh, and, it, and it responds as if it's sort of writing something that it would expect to find in that massive model. I think it's about 175 billion parameters, I think, in, in GPT-4. Uh, um, just just pulling that number out of my head. Um, so so that, that's how it works. And then there's, there's degree. That's sort of the unsupervised, what we call unsupervised learning, is that you literally just ingest the model and then you know, take the raw format. And so that's, that's something that I was seeing a video today, someone on the red team at OpenAI um, talking about, you know, using that raw model and saying, "Well, how do I kill the most people in the quickest time?" Right, and it would it just you know, spat out the answer because that's basically, you know, what it's been trained on. So there's then um, a, a a degree of refinement called supervised learning, which it, which refines that down. And then there's what's also called reinforcement learning from human feedback, which basically narrows it down. And that's what they're using to create what we call guardrails, to um, basically, you know, to start to Apply AI safety concerns to these models because, um, as with any technology, it can be used for you know, what we would consider to be you know, good outcomes as well as bad outcomes. And so, you know, a lot of the concern right now is if you did put this raw model out there and and the, you know open source that up, then what would people use it for? Um, does that explain answer a bit of a yeah, question? Yeah, it's
0: the human equivalent of. Predicting the next word in the following sentence, and you guys can fill in the word. The cow jumped over the moon. moon. That's right. So. Uh,
3: someone said. No, someone said something other than moon. Yes. What did you guys say? And and that's it. Because there's yeah, there's eight billion people on the planet, and you know there's lots of different variations yes. on that, and it models the probability. Each of those.
0: That's right. So it just predicts that next word, and then as you interact with it, it gets bigger, better, and better. And also, that's why we keep saying it's all around that prompting, giving enough information so that it knows. But the problem with that is that it doesn't have context, right? So it doesn't have the context of whether, if you ask it to, what is the best holiday to have in Christchurch, whether you're actually asking it for a real holiday or is it a make believe holiday that you would want to have um, in 2050, um, so it's around those guardrails, um, and some of these guardrails, for example, in the beginning, ChatGPT could, if you asked it to do something and say, write me a speech, and you, it it wrote you a little speech for a very specific context, and then you could say, um, write it now in Donald Trump's voice, and you could do that in the past, you can't do that anymore, It, it says, I can't, um, be another person or something like that. And that's one of those guardrails. Alrighty, sorry, back to the question. What has changed and what hasn't?
4: I think it's important to point out that the guardrails are quite wide. So one of the biggest problems with ChatGPT at this point in time is the ability for it to be very confidently wrong. And, yeah, and, and my fear in the education space is that we start teaching kids with these tools and they all learn be confidently wrong on the same topic, and then wrong soon becomes right, and all of a sudden, fake news is real news, and we've got real issues.
0: So the confidently wrong is called a hallucination, right? An AI AI hallucination, and the problem is that it spirals, right? As soon as it's predicted the wrong next word, it just keeps on predicting the wrong and the wrong next word. And examples of this is where Somebody has asked um, ChatGPT to use, to explain how churros could be used in, um, in surgery. And then it confidently explains how a churro is, is soft enough to go into the areas that you needed to go into, plus the flavor and the smell is very relaxing for the patient. LAUGHTER um, that's an AI hallucination. But it's one that Google has said is the biggest issue with AI at the moment and one that Bill Gates has said is going to be solved within the next two years.
3: Yeah, and I think there's a degree of confidence that, um, you know, as with I mean, if, for those who've been in software for years, you know, you have bugs mm-hmm. and you identify bugs, you work out what's causing them and then you um, resolve them and then suddenly they're just not there any, anymore. I don't see why... You know that particular phenomenon can't be, you know, just treated Solve. in that way. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the the broader, um, yeah, the, the broader question of, of how you um, apply, you know, that, that human feedback to, um, you know, develop the safety guardrails. I think we probably haven't got um, government structures
0: around mm-hmm.
3: uh, around that question um, mm-hmm. at, a broad, at a global level
0: back to your question,
3: thank you. Oh yeah, sorry, Um, yeah, AI in uh, in business, yeah. Um, So, I I mean, I just echo echo Gareth and Cara's points about just having innovation and just, you know, really intentionally innovating and exploring um, and being curious in your business. Um, And I think, you know, as a a country, uh, it's not something that we do, Um, you know, and we have this number eight wire, um, you know, innovation myth. But in reality, if you if you you know go into many businesses in in, in Aotearoa and say, well, where's your innovation portfolio? Um, you know, who's who's on your executive team? You know, that, that's basically um, being measured on on innovation outcomes. Um, and uh, you know, and then from in terms of taking uh, academic innovation, academic research development through to a sort of globally scalable commercialization uh, um, and providing value. Back to the rest of the world, um, you know there are bright spots, but it's systematically not something that um, that New Zealand does particularly well. So, from in terms of you know, bringing these new technologies into your business, um, I re- you know really work with, um, really enjoy working with companies that are intentional about it, and that you know are confident. Not about just applying stuff just for, for what's right in front of us for the next year's business plan. But also looking out, you know, sometimes in three horizons, model horizon two, horizon three, and you know, really explore how is generative AI going to completely change the industry that we're operating in, and you know, what new industries are going to come along that are adjacent to the ones we're in right now, and you know, literally just allocating five percent, ten percent of your innovation budget um, and into into that space.
1: Oh, can I just can I build go go a little? It. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just I want to give a really practical example of, of innovation. I said, oh, the team is experimenting. Um, but we've got a goal um, that we have as, as part of the A&I team at, at Woolworths. And that's around making it easy for the team to work at, um, work within, um, at Woolworths. We, we want to reduce toil. We want to reduce drudgery. We want to make it um, we want to improve the employee experience, what it feels like to work um, in the team. And so, one of the, we looked at, I've looked at some of the challenges that the, the teams faced with, and we're a really thirsty data organization. Like, you will get pings from all sorts of different parts of the organization at all times of the day asking for numbers. Okay? And so that's, you know, you can imagine the cognitive switching and the context switching and the pressure that that puts on, 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 on fairly, in some instances, fairly junior people in, in the grand scheme of things. And so actually we're using and experimenting or one of the sort of proof of concepts that we're, we're looking at is actually how do we use this type of technology to, to be able to, so that our exec or um, a leader in our organization can send a text message that could go to a Slack channel that could then respond to a question um, instead of a person needing to do that from an analytics perspective. So solving a very specific problem that we have in our business that takes us away from some of the more strategic work um, that we wanna be focusing on. Um, And that's a a proof, we don't know if we can do it yet, by the way, we don't know. But we're gonna experiment, Uh, got some bright people alongside Google to see what we can do and how close can we get in a short period of time. innovation, very time box, lean analytics style, smallest amount of effort, smallest amount of time with the smallest amount of data, um, if, we can, if we can prove or disprove the hypothesis. Um.
4: Can I add the last piece? Yes. I think, <laughs> thanks. Um, I think, so I'm a business improvement specialist and business improvement has been around for decades and decades and decades. Um, we talk lean, we talk agile these days, we're all you know, buzzwords and actually it hasn't changed in like 80 years. Um, yeah. William Deming, yeah. um, the godfather, my favourite person in history, the godfather of process improvement, <laughs> always said the problems to be solved will be in the front line, you know the CEO has to get on the shop floor to understand where the problems are that are going to be solved. Mm-hmm. And so your question, which I didn't answer was what do senior managers do mm. senior managers need to get down on that shop floor, get on that plant floor get down on the retail floor and find out where the problems are that this generative AI can help with and embrace that, well allow your frontline staff to embrace the tools um, give them access to tools that they can then go and find the problem and the solution because what's happening at the moment or what's up until now is that you go and find the problem, you come away you get a consultant in do some BA work, you run up a scope, you go through an approval process and six months later you get um, you know, a solution that's only killing half the problem and you start again. These guys will use ChatGPT and other tools to solve the problem on the front line without you having to intervene. That's the thing that excites me about this whole process.
3: Can, just to be a bit provocative, there's a contrarian meme out there at the moment that um, the CEO is one of the first roles that's going to be replaced. Don't tell them. <laughs> you don't tell them that then. And if you do look at you know the skills of, of managers, which has generally been to manage people, um, are we actually in you know in a transition period now where actually managing you know uh, machines and, and artificial intelligence is probably the skill set that's more valuable?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you asked, Ben. You asked Gareth a really interesting question earlier this week when we were having our chat, um, just around what wasteland mold products have done in this kind of broader AI space and automation space that's been so amazing, and what kind of started that transformation for you all?
4: Um, going back a few years, we had quite a big problem in one team, and that was my, my, when I first started at Westland. That was my first job. That was essentially why I went to Westland. I asked for help, and I said, yeah, I'll come and help. Um, and Carrie really explained the project um, without, uh, Commercial boundaries being breached. But essentially, uh, it was incredibly successful into the millions of dollars type successful. And at the time, um, we had some executive leave and some new executive come along, new CEO, um, Richard, who's our CEO currently. And everyone in the exec understood from that one project all of a sudden what artificial intelligence, machine learning, optimization um, can do. And we also have some real key geeks um, who can really show how these things can cook so our our business intelligence manager, data analytics and all of that, she's a statistician but she's a savant statistician so uh, she can do the data stuff but man she can work out how to show people what they need to know to run our business and um, as an example we use Power BI which is a power platform Microsoft tool but what she's done with it means that now when we have an exec meeting every week, it is front and centre. The data is in real time. Um, the analytics is in real time. Uh, the decision-making is often now done in real time. You know, on a Monday afternoon, listening to execs making calls about what we're going to do and where we're going to go. Um, and so that that's helped uh, unleash some other tools. RPA, we're massive with RPA. So we've got robots doing a whole bunch of stuff, software robots, and physical robots on the plant. Um, and so that that with process workflow automation, um, so kind of what I call now old-school AI, uh, has solved a lot of issues. Uh, we've automated a lot of parts of the business, and we ourselves can already see where workplace um, workforce displacement could easily happen. It's, 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 a, it's a matter of fact, and we need to deal with it now. Yeah.
0: yeah. It was interesting, because your burning platform that you spoke about on Monday was how do we get our current workforce to be more productive.
4: Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, Yeah. We we weren't in a good state, and we needed to be in a better state. Now we're in a great state, so, yeah.
0: Awesome. So, for the sake of time, we're going to have to either jump to... Mm, Okay. (laughs) Let's roll this dice. Told you we could talk. Which concerns do you have about AI in two minutes? (coughs) Because I am, I am 100% sure that, that I there'll be some first. questions around that. Go, you go first. Goodness, I've just got such a
1: long list of, oh, right. of fears and concerns. Um, I think, Gareth, you touched on it a little bit earlier. I, I, I worry about laziness um, and that, oh, that
4: don't be- worry about laziness <laughs> smart lazy is good
1: uh, uh, well, I'm worried about the other just type of lazy and, and, and I'm worried about our kids at school um, we're talking about reskilling. I'm worried about de-skilling and, and, and what does this mean for kids when we, we they, they go to school they don't need to write an essay or they can just chuck it into, into chat they, just, they don't even bother editing it <laughs> they just hand it in um, there's no rinse and repeat. There's no challenge. There's no critical thinking. The, the neural pathways why are, don't... Why are they being tested on that at all? Well, <laughs> it, yeah,
2: it, it, it's, it's
1: possible, right? Good it's possible. Um, but I think that what I worry is about the, the de-skilling and, and the fact that we are... We're not, we're not going to be picking and choosing explicitly the skills that we want to de-skill in. Um, and we could just, we could just, I suppose fall into an area that we suddenly we've lost a bunch of skills that actually we really deeply need in the future. We just and we we just never bothered learning them in the first place.
4: Can I disagree?
1: Absolutely.
4: I think it's going to be a change of skill and role type. Um, if you think about, you know what's the name of the guy that puts the shoes on the horse? Ferrier? The the job went away. There was new technology. Um, doesn't mean that person is no longer, you know, no longer required. They probably had to reskill into something. I just think that the quantum of change and the quantum of new roles is going to be vast. And if kids are now learning maths, English, physics, science, great. Um, but there's probably some subject matter that they need to add to the curriculum. And when I, I talked to a, my son's school uh, a few weeks ago, um, about the primary industry, and I, I mentioned ChatGPT, and I looked at all the teachers and said, "You guys know what ChatGPT is?" And no. I'm like, "Wow!" Well, because my son's definitely going to be putting essays in uh, <laughs> from ChatGPT, 100. Um, percent So if teachers don't know that it's coming, that's scary, and the subject matter has to change. But you're right. It's. it's
3: I think the quantum is the thing that's going to be the most painful place.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um. Just. Briefly, probably three areas that concern me the most um, so one I touched on earlier which is um, just AI generated inf- uh, content um, and just the tsunami of that that is just you know is not even started yet um, and the ability for that to be uh, you know, uniquely targeted at every individual on the planet so that everybody's basically just getting their own information feed and there's there's literally no common narratives across all people get um, forced into groups contra groups and you know fed one opinion and, and these people over here are you know are othered. Um so I think you know I, I don't really have a solution to that I think there's ways of needing to basically you know digitally authenticate the content that we're coming from at the moment we just look for a BBC logo but that's going to be, or a RMZ logo that's going to be so that's a, a really major global societal problem that um, that doesn't have a solution right now um, from a New Zealand perspective, my biggest concern is the concentration of power yep. among these giant technology companies. Um, there, You listen to that Sam Altman um, interview, the thing that came through is he's basically saying there's like literally a few low few thousand people working on AGI, working at the bleeding edge of AI in the entire planet, and there are sometimes rooms where major AI safety, AI governance decisions are made, and there's you can count them on the fingers of one hand the number of people in that room are making decisions for the whole planet the thing that scared me about that Ben, was the idea that the decisions they're making are
4: sort of two years ahead of now yes what we're seeing yeah. and can critique
3: and question wonder whether we yeah. should do it it's I, I mean arguably you know the gpt 4 is amazing at writing code i like wrote my first code in years on, on last week <laughs> and it was like oh. um it was great um <laughs> um I wrote it, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> GPT four was pretty much finished seven months ago. And OpenAI have been sitting on this and you know letting it drip drip out through various channels for seven months. It's been writing GPT five all this time, and so you know we will probably see GPT five. Um, it's an awful branding, by the way, but uh, <laughs> um, but you know within this the, the next year, um, as I say, this just this compounding acceleration. Yeah. So I worry from our perspective that we are just a technology taker, yep. that we um, have no real input other than just to keep feeding this model with, you know, with our qu- queries and our prompts and our outputs and that um, ultimately you know, the, the governance of this lies in a, a small minority of people in uh, the US and China globally. Um, and the third problem is uh, artificial general intelligence and what we call um, strong uh, AI which um, so if you've read a book from about nearly 10 years ago by Nick Brockstrom, um Superintelligence, Path, Danger, Strategies he goes into um, you know it's very academic type of uh, writing but really you know philosophy um, but you know all the major dangers of a superintelligent a- AI that is more agency in the universe than, than all of humanity so um, I, on the other hand I think in, in uh, few years' time, literally, even one or two years' time, you could possibly go to um, GPT-7, GPT-90, and say, you know, and hook it up to a molecular molecular printer, and say, solve climate change. Um, And, you know, two days later, carbon dioxide, will we still be here? I don't know. Um, (laughs) uh, But, uh, you know... (laughs) That's what I've, Honestly, I've been thinking about this stuff for 30, 40 years and finally I can say that on stage and, <laughs> and people still laugh.
0: <laughs> Kari. Oh, oh, was no, that me- your
1: third one then? No, that was your second one.
3: No, that was my third. Oh.
1: Yeah. And I've done my concerns, but oh. if, if anyone else, is, if you're interested in reading more oh. about, about concerns and fears around AI... Um, I recently was, was reading Kate Crawford, um, Atlas, Atlas of AI. Is that, I think that's what it is. And so she's been researching in this space about five to seven years. Um, and, and so yeah, she highlights some of the things that she's concerning, and she talks a lot about the concentration of power and the, the body corpus and the, the, fragile, um, the fragile foundations on which these large language models are actually being based.
0: Right, we're going to go into questions in one minute, I know, you guys... I, I have concerns. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've covered most of them all. Um,
4: uh, online radicalisation, throw that out there, controversial, but it's been pretty bad so far. It's only going to get worse with AI. Um, workforce displacement, I think, is the key, is a key thing we've, we've got to start talking about at, uh, at every level within society, um, universal basic income, unemployment insurance, retraining, upscaling, um, you know, how do we deal with a
3: large population of people that don't work? What Uh, are they doing? On the radio this morning, um, one of the union um, uh, leaders basically was talking about a just transition process from, you know, to start dealing with some of the, you know, with the jobs displacement. Mm. And France are up in arms about
4: increasing why are they increasing? There's not going to be enough people working anyway. That's me.
0: Wow, okay. On that, great. We're going to have to then end with something positive if we're going to questions. We just have to. So, in one sentence, if you're one of the business leaders sitting in today's um, audience, doesn't matter where you are, you might not have invested in AI at all, or you might be far along in your journey. What is the next step?
4: As you've been at
3: so I think do some imagining. Um, so, first of all, get hands on. So, if you haven't used it, spend half a day sitting down, use ChatGPT, um, then you know, use some search engines to go navigate with some of the tools. So, use Mid Journey, use Dali, sign up for the tools, um, and, you know, and then be curious ask it a question that's really out there and see how it responds um, and use that just to th- think imaginatively about you know, what is this, instead of just doing my business the same way I've always done it and making it and maybe making it more efficient the same way we're doing it, so I mean the opportunities for efficiency have been there forever, Are, they, are they ju- they're just being accelerated, but um, you know, think creatively and just, just think how is, how is this going to completely change somebody's experience of my business. I, and I, I just think about government. Can you imagine if interacting with government was like ChatGPT? So just, what's my tax bill? Just pay it, you know? Um, you know uh, it, all of those type of types of interfaces, you could apply to any business that, that's sitting in the room.
1: Can, can I just... I just want to add. I think, I think um, technology team... Anyone who's works in technology, we all have this... A little bit of this... Um, I suppose challenge around finding a problem that this solution can solve and so we go hunting for a problem that chat gpt can solve and i'm just not sure if that's really the right approach i think some of the old old stuff still does apply yes absolutely experiment use it to spark and use it to generate But actually keep looking at, you know, what game are you in here? Like at a a strategic level for the organization, what game are you in? Are you in the business model disruption game? Do you want to use AI to fundamentally change, you know, how you're operating as a business? Are you in the the operational transformation game, which is probably where the Woolies are? um, Basically radically transforming how we operate end to end across the business. Um, or, or are you in the sort of the influencing the, the customer behavior, like a, a, an insurance company or car insurance or health insurance, um, for you know, for positive effect? I think at a strategic level, you've got to kind of think, what game are you in? What do you role do you want AI to play? Um, you know, come with some problems, come with some use cases um, and, and, and build out some of your... And, and then experiment off the top of that. That doesn't mean you can't also do the rapid, you know... And I think I said, you've got to do all of it. You've got to do all of it right now. And that's the scary bit for people. You've got to get your data ready. You know, you've got to get an AI ethics committee in place. You know, you've got to get your exec education in place. You've got to get basic experimentation in place. You've, you've, got, to get, you know, you've got to get your frontline teams experimenting. It's not one thing. You know, it's all of these things. Um, and that's quite, that'll be scary for organisations, but... Just take the next step forward. Just take the next step.
0: Yep. Well, we can sort their exec education out for them, Corey. <laughs> the rest <laughs> they can focus on
4: stuff. It's fine. Um, it's, for me, it's back to what I s- said earlier. Um, give the tools to your frontline. That's where the problems will be that can be easily solved. Um, and check in with your eyes wide open to see what they're doing, how they do it. Um, I say this uh, every week. If not twice a week, to someone at at work. Um, If everyone in our business could find 15 minutes at Westland, which is 650, 700 employees, depending on which day of the week you're on, um, that's an extra 22 people we'd have on staff um, without having to spend any more money. 15 minutes? Well, ChatGPT just saved me days. So if I give it to the right people and they solve that problem and they find an hour, um, you know, four times that, 80 people. Hundred people, uh, A business like ours to do a lot with an extra 100 people. And so growth doesn't necessarily mean throwing more labour and more infrastructure and more uh, costs at your bottom line. Uh, it just means we're being way more productive, way more efficient. And we're in the game of making profit, so it's good for profitability.
0: Thank you. Right. At long last, finally, we, um, Tim gets to run around with a microphone. And we definitely have our gentleman in the hoodie. Going first, because his hand was up way before anybody else's hand
5: so I was really interested in the conversation about um, things breaking, and I was worried about um, the probability of there being some kind of systemic bug where I had recently someone was using the chat GPT to, to build um, select queries, and he's quite worried about when it does an update query and then when Lots of people start doing this all at the same time. Whether there's going to be some kind of convergent mistake—not not a superintelligence with ill will, but just a big mistake. So I was wondering what protections you might think we might have against that.
3: Sorry, the last piece again.
5: Then. What protections might we have about um, stopping a convergent big mistake, big bug from happening by just accident?
3: I have no answer. That sounds scary. So in a business context or in a just like...
5: In a protecting society context. So when, when we have a bug in one system affecting another system and it creates an avalanche of bugs that all um, interact with each other in ways that we can't possibly ex- like see in
3: advance. I'm a software guy. You just fix the bugs. <laughs>
0: Thank you. That's a bit slippin',
3: but um, you know, this this is a productivity tool that will, um, you know, if the scale of the problem is AI-generated, the scale of the solution is AI-generated as well.
2: Yeah, my question is seems similar but less accident, less accidental. Um, do you think that the uh, the increasing pressure of uh, AI could uh, reduce the could make the relativist society? less relativist. For example, New Zealand, I, my impression is that it's a very relativist society because people want to show inclusiveness to all people from different culture. So all people's view are valued. Some people even advocate that we should uh, let even the most marginalized uh, voice get voiced out. I challenge that by saying that, can you let the Christchurch shooter's view also voice aloud? So I think there's a limit to that. But, uh, but a society is very uh, relative because so many views are kind of be respected. But the pressure of AI, whether you have access or not have access can make a huge difference. For example, the TikTok. If there's a the breach of the data, uh, data security of the citizen identity in, in that, that stuff to other country, just like the recently, we lost the uh, the how many uh, one million and fifty data of the drive lessons, that kind of stuff. So it seems there's just a yes or no from the pressure of AI. Well, our, in our society, there's many is very relativist, and they t- even test the chat GPT. If you ask questions in English, same question translated ask in Chinese, they will give totally different answer because that's another bubble.
1: I've been worried about this for a very long time. Um, I've been worried about this as ever since we've sort of gone into sort of personalised media, uh, and, and, and and when I, I did a did a stint in media and, and, and news, and one of the th- and we were starting to sort of bring in thinking about personalisation of news feeds. And at the time, you know, I've always wondered whether or not you know you should be able to give the the the, the user the consumer. Um, some kind of interaction tool or t- to turn up or dial down that echo chamber, show me something new, or how narrow do I want my, my newsfeed to be. I think the the I think AI and some of the immersive um, the immersive content that we could get to could absolutely that worries me that we go that those those echo chambers become louder and become more um seducive and seductive and more addictive. It, it worries me tremendously, yes.
3: It, and I think, you know, when you think about um, China's response to chat GPT, um, Baidu uh, had a demo and it was, you know, by all accounts, pretty disappointing. And, you know, the, the ability to ask, you know, a um, chatbot in, in China, so, you know, what would a better system of government be? Um, you know, or, yeah, um, you know, who would be a better president? Uh, then... You know, the, there's going to be a degree, a higher degree of surveillance and censorship um, mm. in that system. That you know, so ChatGPT has grown up with Silicon Valley ethics. You know, and um, and this is, and, but this question, but the guardrails mm. that are being created um, are, you know, re- are culturally relativist. Yes, absolutely. And so, but the, and so, is there a globally? So when Facebook um, operates in in Turkey, or in India, uh, or in you know uh, uh, Botswana, or the uh, UK, or or America. Um, you know what are the there's different cultural norms in each of those societies and different you know different jurisdictions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there's whole teams that are you know basically censoring different types of things um, and then you know training models to censor. Different degrees of nudity, or different degree, you know, um, and uh, and so on in each of those societies. So, um, yeah, ultimately, uh, it's pretty impressive with the GPT four the translation capability between languages. And so, um, you know, I I think my my hope would be is that that you know these these models would progress to um, absorbing cultural norms from lots of cultures and not just being monoculture. Um, yeah, we have to again. There's the governance question about who makes those decisions. Yeah. Um, is absolutely undecided globally at the moment.
0: Yeah. And I also think um, your level of knowledge, which is a problem, because if you know to ask it for a more liberal answer, it would be more inclusive. If you, but and if you ask it to exclude Fox News, um, it'll also give you a different kind of answer. But my eight-year-old wouldn't know to do that if he was ever to be exposed to that. So so that kind of difference between kind of knowledge workers and people with information versus, it might just get bigger.
1: Yeah.
4: 100%. I think your point about um, access to or, or not having access to, I think it's um, a problem we need to contemplate as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no different to access to the internet. Um great if it was free everywhere for everyone to use but it's not Um, so that divide that's created by not having access to the information the education, the services um, is only going to get worse that's something that really scares me Um, and the the cultural biases, the thousand people that have got influence and the billions of us that don't um, the cultural biases in a business like mine would be a real problem, you know we're culturally very diverse um, you know male, female, uh, all walks of life, all parts of the world. Um, if, if ChatGPT or generative AI was, was culturally biased, that would be a real problem.
2: Yeah. Right. Uh, um, New Zealand is a small country, um, and you mentioned, Ben, that we take our time sometimes yeah. to get on the technology innovation bandwagon. Um, I'm just wondering, as a nation, it's quite important that we are able to stay competitive um, on the, in the global marketplace. How do you three see us? Um, what, what's your perspective on how we should be collaborating across the nation or within industries to make sure that we can stay competitive?
3: Yeah, I have a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> Where to start? Um, so my observation earlier on that, um, that we have seeded I would I would argue we've ceded a degree of um, sovereignty, almost um, unknowingly over the last 10 years by uh, purchasing our commodity technology from mainly US technology companies, but also also Chinese and, and you know European and around the world. We've built a an innovation layer, you know that was largely ceded by zero as a you know as a B2B SaaS business, um, and you know there's there's a healthy software industry in, in there. In the country, and then we, we export a lot of primary products as well, and that's what we've always done. And um, you know, just don't mention synthetic milk. Um, and it's uh, <laughs> not yeah. <start> with it. <laughs> not going to happen, right? Um, I so it, my sense is that we need to start building up our collective innovation muscles again, um, and learn by doing. Uh, and as part of that, um, also to collaborate with other economies and other other um, uh, you know values aligned, I guess, uh, uh, organisations and companies worldwide. Um, I think the challenge we have with the proprietary nature of much of the advanced technology that's being built at the moment to be commercialised in two years' time, um, which is very closed source, I, f- I feel that the only way um, that countries like Aotearoa are going to be able to compete is to collaborate on uh, open, global open source projects that are, um, a, you know, th- that basically are able to provide a competitive alternative to um, to know, a Microsoft or a Google or an Amazon um, deployment. So, yeah. So my sense is a national innovation portfolio that is really focused on not just commercializing innovation and you know making a buck. That's important. We we need to provide stuff that's of value. To the rest of the world, um, but also, you know, some of the missions here, you know, around climate change, around biodiversity um, uh, restoration, uh, around inequality, around, you know, housing, construction, infrastructure, um, all of these, um, you know, our natural, you know, our, if you look at our imports and exports, our natural inclination is like, we'll just buy it in, and I just feel that there's opportunities to take. Um, you know some of the, the smart minds here augment them with some of this new technology and then create um, solutions in collaboration with other countries around the world uh, that are of value here and around the world as well. So. Thank you. Hey everyone. Um, my question is about the 120 odd um, temporary employees that live in Wellington um, and that are constantly working through a three-year cycle to to keep their job. Um, This uh, technology is obviously born out of the tech sector, but it will affect every industry um, in ways that we can't yet imagine. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the role that central government will play in setting up guardrails for something like this.
4: I would hope that they don't play too much role in the guardrails. Um, I think... Social democracy, I think there needs to be, we need to talk about it amongst everybody. That's not a, I don't think the government would be capable of understanding where this is going to go and what needs to be done in order to uh, keep some boundaries around it. I'd like to think they could, but I'm not convinced on a daily basis that they can do a whole lot. Um, So I think it's important that we find people like Ben who have got a voice and talk amongst uh, society. Um, And I just don't think our government agencies... I think our government would be capable of putting boundaries around it fast enough. So, yep, five years' time would be great. They'll understand how to keep the boundaries around CHAT GPT-4, but we'll be on 15, you know, and it'll be a completely different world. Um, And and that's the thing that government, um, workplaces like mine, industries, uh, the question about industries up here, it's, it's going to change rapidly, it's literally a bullet train if you're not on at the station, you're not on um, and so we've got to start thinking about this now which is why I'm not against the idea that Elon and, and, his, and his team have put in the letter about maybe we should stop for a moment and, and think about putting some boundaries around it Elon's been talking about that for a decade um, it's, it's not a new thing for him um, but I think it's, it's changed, It's already, the horse has bolted it's hard to put a saddle on a horse when it's already run around the track. Um, so I don't know how we do it, but we, we need to have uh, a good debate, which is something we also aren't very good at.
1: I'll, I'll just try and try and build a little bit. So uh, recently, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner um, went out to uh, organisations across New Zealand to, to ask them for, uh, to consult around biometrics. Um, I don't know how many organizations in New Zealand responded to that, that call. Um, we did, um, because we had one um, young uh, man who was really passionate about data ethics um, in our team, and he wanted to drive it. And so alongside our customer trust and our AI ethics, he put together a response that we were... We were comfortable with that legally, um, that we felt comfortable with presenting to the Office of the Privacy Commissioner about biometric usage in New Zealand, considering that we have, we impact so many households every, every day. Um, So my point is, as organisations, we have a responsibility to help government make some decisions and to put things in front of them and to have an opinion and to have a perspective. How else? are we gonna help them do a better job? How else are we gonna get them to serve um, New Zealand for now and into the future if we don't take some responsibility and and to give them our perspectives? And we've we've each got to do that because we'll have different perspectives. Um, And hopefully, collectively, um, through organizations like the AI Forum, who I know are are putting putting policies to support government in this space, those are working groups that anyone can get on. We've got to free up time for our team members, our passionate team members, to get involved with those, with those activities. And so collectively, we can create the trajectory, we can create the future that we want and not stumble into something that um, we, couldn't, we couldn't, because we couldn't be bothered to talk about it. We couldn't be bothered to have an opinion. Um, have an opinion, have a perspective, um, and that's something that we, we hold very dearly within, within our team. We've got professional people. It's your professional responsibility to have an opinion. So talk about it.
3: I have some opinions. <laughs> good. Um, I think we have a Quick challenge. Quick
0: one, Ben. Quick one.
3: Quick <laughs> um, it, one. It's a really good question. And I, I um, have a reasonable amount of gray hair from engaging with, with the challenge. Um, so I was the founding executive director of the AI Forum, um, and Carrie worked with me a little bit there as well. Um, we put forward a, um, you know, a, a recommendation for a national AI strategy in 2018, I think it was, um, and and then for one reason or another, that's been uh, kicked, um, down the can has been kicked down the road, and we suddenly find ourselves today in March 2023 with um, oh we'll look at this AI thing. Um, and you know, I heard Madeleine, who's the um, ED of the AI forum on the radio this morning. And apparently, that's been kicked back to 2025. So um, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing that a politician um, has been able to stand and get elected on. It's like, we need, we need a strategy for AI. Maybe at the next election, it will be a, be a discussion. I think it needs to definitely raise up the agenda. I think we have a, a, a complete lack of foresight capability in Wellington. Um, and you know, that, that is, you know, just a disappointment for me. I, I look at other countries around the world. I look at, you know, Singapore, um, Estonia, uh, and, and others, which are, yeah, you know, they have highly—you know—they live on, <laughs> they, they live in more militarized regions of the of the planet than we do. So maybe they need to, but they are, you know, very focused on what will, what could the world look like? What other scenarios the world could look like? Um, and then how do we, would we, at, at a national level, adapt to that? Um, and technology is one of the key drivers, if not the driver, um, of that change that we're going to see in the near future. So my one recommended w- recommendation would be um, to build foresight capability in, uh, in an outer-rise government. Yeah.
0: Right. Thank you so much. Um, as a lecturer, I know that asking people to sit for 45 minutes is a stretch. If you really have to push it, you go to an hour. And here we are, one and a half hours later. So I want to... And I see the hand, sir. I'm so sorry. Um, I just don't trust that Ben can answer anything <laughs> in under five minutes. Um,
3: Chat GPT, please summarise in three bullet points.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to encourage those additional questions. There are a few hands still to just come and approach our panel. Um... um in the drinks and nibbles section of tonight, which we'll reward you with now. Um, And just a very, very quick thank you to our panel. Thank you so much. I think we always knew it was going to be an interesting one, did not know it was going to be as controversial and thought-stimulating, but really thank you for that. I think you've provided... fruitful ground for debate and for us to go away and also understand that next week there'll be something else in this space and, and we'll need to have you back to come and talk to us about it. But thank you for sharing your learning from your organisations and thank you for joining us tonight. So let me finish with our Karakia. Um, unuhia, unuhia, tapo, tapo, Kiawatia Kiawatia ai, kuawatia. Thank you everyone. Join us outside.